and welcome to the 85th episode of the podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, heavy spoilers ahead. Turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. This week I'm covering a franchise that contains as one of its entries, arguably the best horror movie ever made. So it's not too hard to figure out what it is. It's The Exorcist. There are five films, including two prequels and two seasons of a TV show in this series. So the first movie, obviously the most famous of all, is The Exorcist from 1973, based on a 1971 novel by the same name by William Peter Blatty, and he also served as writer and director on the movie. Directed by... Um, I'm sorry, he served as writer and producer on the movie. The movie was directed by William Friedkin, and before this he was best known um, for The French Connection, for which he won a Best Director Academy Award and a Golden Globe Award in 1972. Warner Brothers produced all the movies in the series except for three, and there's very limited music in this movie, but what you do hear is from Mike Oldfried. Oldfield, and Jack Nietzsche, starring Linda Blair as Reagan McNeil, Max von Sydow as Father Marin, Ellen Bierst as Chris McNeil, Jason Miller as Father Damien Karras, Lee J. Cobb as Detective William Kinderman, Kitty Wynn as Sharon Spencer, and someone who's a priest in real life, William O'Malley as Father Dyer. The second movie is called The Exorcist II, The Heretic. It's from 1977, so four years later. This movie is often considered one of the worst sequels ever. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in the trivia section. But it was directed and produced by John Borman, also produced by Richard Letterer. The writer was William Goldhart, and music here by Enrico Morricone, who is one of the most prolific film composers composers of all times. He's done scores to like 400 movies and TV shows. One of my personal favorites is the music from The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. I just love that. And that music is also in the Grammy Hall of Fame. A few people returning from the first movie. This one stars Linda Blair. Richard Burton is new as Father Philip Lamont. Louise Fletcher is new as Dr. Jean Tuscan. And, of course, you'll remember her. Uh, She is most famous for Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Max von Sydow is back in flashbacks as Father Merrick. Kitty Wynn is back as Sharon Spencer. And also appearing in this one, Paul Henred. He stars as the Cardinal. This was the last film he made before he passed away. And James Earl Jones also appears here as Kokomo. The third movie is The Exorcist 3 from 1990. Uh, James Earl Jones, obviously, I didn't mention this, but the voice of Darth Vader and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, The Exorcist 3 from 1990, so 13 years later, distributed by 20th Century Fox, directed and written by William Peter Blatty. This one is based on his 1973 novel named Legion. It was produced by... Carter DeHaven and James G. Robinson. 
And Robinson also produced the last two movies. The composer here is Barry D. Vorazen, starring George C. Scott as Detective William Kinderman. That's the same character from the first film, but played by a different person this time. Jason Miller as Father Karras. He is back from the first movie. Brad Dorif also stars as Father Karras. Ed Flanders. Um, he previously replaced the other actor who was playing Father Dyer. And Scott Wilson, who plays Dr. Temple. And I remember him best as Herschel from The Walking Dead. The fourth movie is called Exorcist the Beginning from 2004, so 14 years later, directed by Rennie Harlan. Writer Alexi Halley and a few other people did several of the film sequences. Music is by Trevor Raven, starring Stellan Skarsgård as Father Marin. In case you didn't know, Stellan Skarsgård is the father of a number of actors who are, uh, you've seen a lot of stuff today, including Alexander, who was in True Blood, Bill, who was in Castle Rock, Hemlock, Hemlock Grove, and played um, Pennywise in It. And Gustav, who I remember most recently as Loki on the Vikings. Also starring Isabella Skorupko, S-C-O-R-U-P-C-O, as Dr. Sarah Novak. And James Darcy as Father Francis. Andrew French as Chuma. Julian Wadham as Major Granville. And Remy Sweeney as Joseph. And the last movie is called Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist from 2002, so released one year later. This was directed by Paul Schrader. So this is where it gets confusing. This movie was actually made before the previous movie, The Beginning, but the studio hated it so much that they had Harlan redo the entire film, but no one really liked that movie that much either, so they went ahead and released this. Um, Harlan's version is scarier than this movie. This Dominion is more about Marin's faith, but both basically tell the same story, use the same sets, have some of the same actors. Um, and this is probably the only time that a studio has spent millions of dollars to reshoot basically exactly the same movie. The writers here are William Wisher and Caleb Carr. Music again by Trevor Raven and Angelo uh, Badalmenti, B-A-D-A-L-M-E-N-T-I, starring again Stellan Skarsgar as Father Marin, Julian Wadham as Major Granville, Andrew French again as Chuma. This time it's Gabriel Mann who plays Father Francis, and Claire Bella, who plays a character called Rachel Lesnar, and Billy Crawford, who plays a character called Chi-Chi. Now to the TV series. It was referred to as The Exorcist, The Next Chapters from 2016, and it serves as a direct sequel to the first movie and ignores everything else. The series was originally on Fox. There's two seasons total, each with ten episodes. You can now view it on Hulu. Stars Alfonso Herrera as Father Ortega and Ben Daniels as Father Keen, who are a pair of exorcists. Also stars Gina Davis as Angela Rance, Alan Ruck as Henry Rance, Hannah uh, Kasulka as Casey Rance, and Brianne Howie as Kat Rance. 
There are a couple of other related movies I just want to mention real quick. There's one called The Exorcist, the version you've never seen, from 2000. And this is actually the director's cut. And it adds 11 minutes that the previous film did not have. And it includes a few changes, including adding the spider walk sequence. More on that later. Some more subliminal images, a longer ending, etc. But like I said, it's just 11 minutes difference. Also, a movie called The Ninth Configuration from 1980. It's not considered part of the franchise, but Blatty also wrote and directed it, and a character from the original Exorcist movie is uh, followed in this movie. It's the astronaut that Reagan talked to during the uh, dinner party. Jason Miller also appears in this movie, but in a different role, and Stacy Keach is also in this. And this is not a horror movie. It's about God and faith. And then lastly, there's a spoof of The Exorcist released in 1990 called Repossessed, starring Linda Blair, Leslie Nielsen, and Ned Beatty. And again, that's not part of the franchise. It's just a related movie. Where to find these movies? Amazon has The Exorcist 3 free on Prime, 1, 2, The Beginning, and Dominion, and The Extended Director's Cut are available for 3 to $4 each. Tubi has The Exorcist 3. YouTube, Google Play, and Vudu have them for the usual price. And the TV series The Exorcist The Next Chapter is available on Hulu, as I just said. And none of these movies are on Netflix or Shudder. Rotten Tomatoes scores. The first movie, The Exorcist, critics gave it an 83. Audiences gave it an 87. So that's uh, pretty good for a movie made in the 1970s. The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, critics gave it a 15, audiences gave it a 13, so nobody liked that movie. The Exorcist 3, critics gave it 59, audiences gave it 56, so it's still pretty good. Exorcist The Beginning, critics gave it a 10%, audiences gave it 27%, so you can see that uh, critics really hated that one. And then Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist, critics 30%, audiences 25%. And lastly, the TV series... The first season, critics gave it a 79, audiences gave it a 92. Season 2, critics gave it a 100, but that's only with 11 reviews, and audiences gave it a 93. So you can see the TV series is pretty highly rated. Now on to the plot. I'll do what I normally do and just read the IMDb synopsis and then just talk about the plot a little bit. So the first movie, The Exorcist, IMDb says... When a 12-year-old girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks to help the help of two priests to save her. And not really sure how much of the plot I need to go into. That's really about it. And everybody basically knows the plot, even people that haven't seen the movie. Uh, I will just add a couple of things. The first scene in the movie may be confusing on first watch. And that's the scene in which Father Marin is at an archaeological dig and then stares down a statue of something. Um, but it all makes sense later, what it is. Also, some people might find the plot a bit slow by today's standards, um, the pacing a bit off, but I like the fact that they established a loving relationship between Reagan and her mother before all hell breaks loose, literally. Um, and in the end, due to the exorcism, Father Marin dies. Father Karras takes the demon, demon inside himself to release Reagan and then throws himself out a window and down a long flight of stairs and is presumably dead. 
Then Reagan's life returns to normal, and she has no memory of the events. And then uh, again, we'll talk about more of the iconic scenes from this movie in the trivia section. So The Exorcist II, The Heretic, IMDb says, A teenage girl once possessed by a demon finds that it still lurks within her. Meanwhile, a priest investigates the death of the girl's exorcist. So Reagan is now 16. She has no memories of her past. And Dr. Tutston Louise Fletcher is a psychologist who has designed something called the Synchronizer, which allows two people to inhabit each other's dreams. Uh, doesn't really make much sense, but whatever. Meanwhile, Father Lamont, Richard Burton, is instructed by the church higher-ups to investigate Father Marin's death. Reagan's mom is nowhere to be seen, and this is because Ellen Bierce didn't want to come back for this movie. So her guardian in Exorcist 2 is uh, the woman from the first movie, Sharon. In this movie, there's a long trip to Africa to find out about a boy named Kokomo who Pazuzu possessed and that Father Marin had expelled the demon from years ago. There's also lots and lots of locusts in this movie, and there's James Earl Jones, i.e., an older Kokomo in a locust costume. And that guy deserved a lot better than that. I'm not even sure what's going on there. Um, there's also tap dancing. No kidding. Uh, could have done without that sequence, but whatever. Then uh, we learn in this movie that I'm going to call him Paz, short for Pazuzu, attacks people who have psychic abilities, which included Kokomo and Reagan. And Father Merrill knew this, and was trying to protect these people. So eventually, Father Lamont, Reagan, Jean, and Chris end up back at the Georgetown house. Chris sets herself on fire and dies. After back and forth as to which side Father Lamont will end up on, he um, grabs Reagan, and they are able... He drives away the demon, and they're able to escape. Dr. Jean stays behind to answer police questions, and she tells Lamont to take good care of Reagan. That's the end of that movie. As again, as I said, one of the worst sequels ever. I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, the movie looked good uh, visually. It's just the plot didn't make any sense at all to me. Um, and all those locusts, like I said, I'm not sure what was going on there. Anyway... On to Exorcist 3, IMDb says, A police lieutenant uncovers more than he bargained for as his investigation of a series of murders, which have all the hallmarks of a deceased Gemini serial killer, lead him to question the patients of a psychiatric ward. This movie serves as more of a criminal procedure, and it has some horror elements. George C. Scott takes over the role of Detective Kinnaman. He investigates a series of grisly murders, including that of his close friend, Father Dyer. In the isolation ward of a hospital, he encounters a patient with amnesia who he thinks is his old friend, Father Karras. It turns out he did not die at the end of the first movie. Instead, he is inhabited by the soul of the Gemini killer who was killed in an electric chair some, I can't remember how many years earlier, a bunch of, like seven or nine years earlier. Um, so in this movie... You have Father Karras, played by Jason Miller, and then you also have Brad Dorif, who is playing the Gemini Killer, inside Father Karras. 
Um, the entity is also able to possess various people in the hospital to do his bidding, including someone trying to kill the detective's family. So that was a good sequence. Very suspenseful. In the final showdown, the real Karras gains enough control over his body to tell Kinnaman to shoot him dead. And I guess that's the end of the demon, at least for now. Now, the first of the two prequels, Exorcist the Beginning, IMDb says, Years before Father Lancaster Marin helped save Reagan McNeil's soul, he first encountered the demon Pazuzu in East Africa. This is the tale of Father Marin's initial battle with Pazuzu and the recovery of his faith. Visually, I really liked how this movie looked. Um, it also had a great intro. We see a priest on a battlefield where everyone's dead around him, and then he takes something from the hand of someone that's dead, and it turns out to be the head of the statue of Pazuzu, which we'll see later. And then he dies, and the camera pans way, way, way out, and there are thousands of people who are killed and hung upside down on crosses. So that's the intro. Then fast forward to after World War II. Father Marin has renounced the priesthood and ends up in Africa at the dig. There he discovers a Byzantine church buried under the sand. Strange things start to happen. Hyenas stalk the site. Uh, they tear one boy apart. People start disappearing. And it turns out that the Vatican ordered that a church be built on the site where Pazuzu was originally worshipped. And then they buried all of it to try to contain the evil there. The first scene we saw was Pazuzu taking over both sides of an army and killing everybody. At the dig site, the British army arrives and local, there's a lot of conflict with the local tribespeople and they start killing each other, which is just a, a callback to what happened in the beginning of the movie. Uh, Father Marin tells Father Francis to take Joseph. He's a boy who they think is possessed, um, given everything that's happening around him. So he tells Father Francis to take Joseph and go hide in the church since no one will enter the church because they're afraid to go in there. Uh, they plan to leave town, but he stays behind to look for the doctor named Sarah, and he can't find her anywhere, so he heads back to the church. Uh, there's also a big sandstorm going on. In an interesting misdirection, it turns out that Sarah is the one that's possessed. And she has killed uh, Father Francis, and now she's trying to kill Father Marin and Joseph. So they fight for a while. She crawls around on the ceiling. Uh, I thought there was some great um, makeup for her. Uh, the colors were really good. I, th I really liked the demon makeup. Um, so eventually they fight a while, and eventually the demon is vanquished, and you think she might have made it out alive, but nope, she dies of her injuries. Only Father Marin and Joseph survive. They crawl out of the church after the sandstorm is over, only to find everyone outside dead and partially buried. Then we see Marin a little bit later. He's now wearing his collar again. His faith has been renewed after tangling with Pazuzu, and this, of course, will not be the last time they meet. Now to Dominion. IMDb says, years after Father Lancaster, Marin helped save Ma Reagan McNeil's soul. He first encounters the demon Pazuzu in East Africa. Marin's initial battle with Pazuzu leads to the rediscovery of his faith. As I said before, 
This movie, some of the same actors, same sets, same location, same CGI hyenas, same conflict between the British soldiers and the tribespeople, basically the same plot. It's also noted that the same cinematographer, Vittori Storero, did both movies, so that explains why they have a similar look. Instead of starting the scene with the first movie, this one features Father Marin being forced to decide who dies in a village in World War II. And that was a scene from the first movie, but this is the opening scene. This time around, they go higher up than Pazuzu. They decide that they are fighting Lucifer himself. And the kid from this movie uh, is indeed possessed. Remember, it was a misdirection from the first movie. Uh, Dominion has much less action than the beginning. Here, Marin eventually vanquishes the demon and again becomes a priest. Um, I personally like the movie The Beginning more than this one. It had more action. It had more of a horror element. The character Chi-Chi in this, who is the boy who's possessed to me, isn't very scary. In fact, it's pretty humorous because they turn him into some floating hairless entity, uh, which I just found to be pretty funny, to be honest. Um, I know what the director was going for in this movie. It was supposed to be more uh, contemplative, but uh, I would just be honest, I was kind of bored since I watched both movies back to back. Maybe if I hadn't watched the beginning and then I watched Dominion, I might think otherwise, but since I watched them back to back, my vote is for Dominion. I'm sorry, it's for the beginning, not Dominion. Now to the TV series, IMDb says, follows three priests dealing with cases of a demonic presence targeting a family and a foster home. I enjoyed the first season of this. I had previously watched it, and then I watched it again last week. Um, the, season one was definitely my favorite. The misdirection here as to who the demon is after was fun. I thought the pacing was good, and... In these move in these two seasons, you how you know if someone's possessed by a demon is they get a second iris in one of their eyeballs, which is a very freaky effect. I like that. Gina Davis plays Angela Rance here, and she does a great job, I think. There's also an overarching story about demons trying to take over the Catholic Church and kill the Pope. I thought that was good. And in the second season, uh, the Rance family is gone, and this time the priests go to help a foster father and his foster kids who are in Washington. While I like the story and the characters, it just seemed to me that the exorcism, which took up several episodes at the end, was way, way too long. I thought the pacing needed to be tightened up in that movie. But again, I liked uh, both the characters and the priests a lot. Now on to trivia. It should come as no surprise that the first movie has a ton of trivia. Um, so I apologize for the length now. Documentaries. There are several documentaries about The Exorcist. There's one called Leap of Faith, William Friedrich on The Exorcist. That's currently available on Cheddar. I thought that one was pretty good. Amazon also has Exorcist Confidential on Prime. There's Fear of God 25 Years Later. I'm not sure where that one is. And then Friedkin also filmed an actual exorcism some 40 years later. It's on Netflix, and it is called The Devil and Father 
Amarth. He was a top Vatican exorcist. I did not watch that movie. Um, let's see. Timeline. Let me just Because the movies jump back and forth, let me just go over the timeline real quick so it makes sense. We have 500 A.D. Pazuzu was encountered in Kenya and wreaks havoc. A Byzantine church is built over the site and buried. It was then rediscovered in 1949. The demon gets loose again in Dominion. He possesses a boy named Chichi. In the beginning, he possesses a female doctor named Sarah. They are both, the demons are driven out by Father Marin. In 1973, Father Marin is at a dig in Iraq where he sees his old enemy, Pazuzu. In Washington, D.C., Reagan McNeil is playing with a Ouija board and summons Pazuzu, but he's referred to here as Captain Howdy or the salesman and sometimes appears as a red bird. And then you know the rest of that story. In 1977, in The Heretic, Reagan is now 16. She has psychic abilities and tangles again with Captain Howdy and vanquishes him. Most people ignore this movie. Then in 1990... Exorcist 3, Lieutenant Kinnaman, who's George C. Scott this time, is on the case of the serial killer. He eventually thinks they are due to James the Gemini Veneman, who was a serial killer who was executed there's how long ago it was, 17 years earlier. He is supposedly in the body of, you guessed it, Father Karras, who is in a mental hospital. Gemini is being mentored or controlled by Pazuzu, so that's how the tie-in is there. And then lastly, 2016, the TV series, Reagan has changed her name to Angela Rance. Her daughter, Casey, becomes possessed by Pazuzu, but Angela is a real target. The demons are also set to take over the Catholic Church and kill the Pope. So poor Reagan cannot get away from Pazuzu. I don't know why he's so obsessed with her, but uh, Pazuzu spends a lot of time trying to harass Reagan. Now, on to trivia, awards... William Peter Blatley, Blatty won the Academy Award for the screenplay adaptation of his book and was nominated for Best Picture, for producer for the Best Picture. The film also earned Blatty the Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, for, again for producer. The Exorcist, Exorcist was nominated for a total of 10 Academy Awards, and besides, of course, William Peter Blatty, who we already said won for uh, screenplay, they also won one for sound. The other nominations were for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor for Jason Miller. Of course, Best Actress was Ellen Bierst. Best Supporting Actress, Linda Blair. Best Director, William Friedkin. Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Art Direction. Batty's book, if you want to listen to it, is uh, an audio book on YouTube. It's like 10 hours long. I have not listened to it. I want to get around to that. Uh, now to one of the most famous scenes, the spider or crab walk scene. Contortionist Linda R. Hager was hired to perform the infamous spider walk scene that was filmed on April the 11th, 1973. Friedkin deleted the scene uh, prior to the release of the movie because he felt it was ineffective technically. However, with advanced de developments in digital media technology, Friedkin worked with CGI artists to make the scene look more convincing, so it was released in the 2000 version, The Exorcist, the version you've never seen. Since the original release, myths and rumors still exist 
that a variety of spiderwalk scenes were filmed despite Friedkin insisting there were no alternate versions ever shot. And in my head, I thought the spiderwalk scene was in the original movie, but it wasn't. It was in the 2000 remake. The scene where Regan projectile vomits his father Karis only required one take. The vomit was intended to hit Jason Miller in the chest, but the plastic tubing misfired, hitting him in the face. His reaction of shock and disgust while wiping away the vomit is genuine. Jason Miller is actor Jason Patrick's father. And we already talked about him in The Lost Boys. He's also been in Cruise Control and a bunch of other stuff. I did not know that before doing this. Due to death threats against Linda Blair from religious zealots who believed the film glorified Satan, Warner Brothers had bodyguards protecting her for six months after the film's release. In an interview, Jason Miller says he had a verbal, a major verbal confrontation with William Friedkin after the director fired a gun near his ear to get an authentic reaction from him. He told Friedkin that, Friedkin that he was an actor and he did not need a gun. <coughs> Excuse me. To act surprised or startle. The bedroom set had to be refrigerated to capture the authentic icy breath of the actors in the exercising scenes. Linda Blair was only in a flimsy nightgown, and she says to this day she cannot stand being cold. Actress Mercedes McCambridge, who provided the voice of the demon, insisted on swallowing raw eggs and chain-smoking to alter her vocalizations. The actress, who had had problems with alcohol abuse in the past, furthermore wanted to drink whiskey as she knew alcohol would distort her voice even more and create the crazed state of mind of the character. As she was giving up sobriety, she insisted that a priest be present to counsel her during the recording session. At Friedkin's direction, Cambridge also was bound to a chair with pieces of a torn sheet to her uh, around her neck, arms, wrists, and legs, and feet to get the more realistic sound of the demon struggling against the constraints. McCambridge later recalls the experience as one of horrific rage, while Friedkin admitted that her performance, as well as the extremes which the actress put herself through to gain authenticity, terrified the director to this day. That's probably... The reason why Friedkin declined to call back McCambridge to provide the demon's voice for the film's TV version, instead deciding to do the voice himself. That's commitment. Not sure that's wise, but that's commitment. The original teaser featuring uh, nothing but images of a white-faced demon quickly flashing in and out of the darkness was banned in many theaters as it was deemed too frightening. If adjustments for inflation are made, The Exorcist would be the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Upon its initial theatrical release, the film affected many audiences so strongly that many theaters paramedics were called to, paramedic, paramedics were called to treat people who fainted and others who went into hysterics. Uh, there's a whole bunch of these where who other people were offered uh, the role uh, you know, all the primary roles in the show. I don't know if I'm going to go over all of them because this is so long. But basically, Jack Nicholson was up for the part of Father Karras. William Friedkin thought he was too unholy to play the priest. Um, and then I'll go over a few more in a little bit. But according to William Friedkin, Friedkin the subliminal shots of the white space demon were actually rejected makeup tests for Reagan's possessed appearance. 
And I already said Father Dyer, played by William O'Malley, who is an actual priest. He taught until 2012 at Fordham Prep, which is a high school. One of the most famous scenes in the movie was shot um, based on a painting, a series of paintings from 1953 and 1954 called Empire of Light by Rene Magritte. I'm not sure I pronounced that right. M-A-G-R-I-T-T-E. It is the scene where Father Marin steps out of a cab and stands in front of the McNeil residence bathed in an eerie glow next to a streetlight. So that's one of the most famous scenes. Director Friedkin eventually asked technical director Thomas Birmingham to exercise the scene. He refused, saying that the exorcism might actually increase anxiety. Uh, Reverend Birmingham wound up visiting the set and gave the blessing and talked to reassure the cast and crew. Mercedes McBridge had to sue Warner Brothers for credit as a voice of the demon, William Friedkin on the Diane Ring show on NPR in 2012 said that originally she did not want credit, saying she wanted the audience to believe the voice was Reagan's. However, after it was released, she changed her mind and was given the credit. Though often cited as the most shocking scenes in cinema, the crucifix masturbation scene was actually greatly toned down from that of the novel. In the source material, the scene was much longer, gorier, and more sexually explicit. In order to make Max von Sydow appear much older than his current age of 44, makeup maestro Dick Smith applied generous amounts of stipple to von Sydow's forehead, eyes, and neck. His facial skin was then manually stretched as liquid latex was applied. When the skin dried, his taut skin was then released, causing the film to uh, the film of rubber to corrugate. This makeup ritual lasted three hours each time and was the cause of much anguish for Von Sydow. Linda Blair received her Best Supporting Actress nomination before it was widely known that Mercedes McCambridge had actually voiced the demon. By Academy rules, once Blair was given the nomination, it could not be withdrawn, but the controversy about Blair being given credit by another actress ruined her chances of winning the award. <coughs> The studio wanted Marlon Brando for the role of Father Marin. William Freakin eventually vetoed this, saying that this would then become a Brandon movie, Brando movie instead of the movie they were shooting. The Exorcist is the first horror film to be nominated for Academy Award for Best Picture. Apparently, there's only one other one, and that is, of course, Get Out from 2017, and that's because Jaws, The Silence of the Lamb, the Sixth Sense were all nominated, but those are not considered horror films according to IMDb. I don't know about IMDb, but most people consider The Silence of the Lambs, I think, to be a horror movie. As well as Jaws. Uh, let's see here. The agency representing Linda Blair overlooked her, recommending at least 30 other clients for the part of Reagan. Blair's mother brought her and herself to try out for the role. In the documentary, 
Included in the 25th anniversary editions, the actors revealed that many shots were not necessary to act because they were genuine reaction. We already said that Friedkin liked to fire guns around people's heads to scare them. And also, Ellen Bierst um, mentions that her screaming facial reaction after being slapped by Reagan was due to being pulled too hard by a harness. And that caused um, a long-term spine injury for her. Linda Blair screaming was a reaction to her being bounced around the bed. That also caused her permanent damage. William O'Malley recalls that William Friedkin slapped him prior to shooting and this caused his hand to tremble while blessing Father Karras. So Friedkin got some excellent uh, work out of people. I'm not sure they liked him after that though. Um... The substance that the possessed Reagan hurls at Father Damien Karras is thick pea soup. Specifically, it's Anderson brand pea soup. The crew tried Campbell's, but they didn't like the effect. The demon seen but not named throughout this movie is, of course, as we already said, Pazuzu, a demon known in Assyrian and Babylonian mythology as a demon that brings famine during the dry seasons and locusts during the rainy seasons. He is the king of the demons of the wind, and more on that a little bit later, but that's why all the locusts were in the second exorcist. William Freakin had to take an all-British crew to film in Iraq because the U.S. had no diplomatic relations with Iraq at the time. They were allowed to film near ancient buildings and actual archaeological digs on the condition that included teaching Iraqi filmmakers advanced film techniques as well as how to make fake blood. Um, there are a number of very brief blink and you miss some cutaways in the 1973 release of the movie that were intended to create unease in the viewer. For example, when the priest is dreaming of his mother coming up the subway, there's a brief cutaway of a face painted black and white. Uh, there are two other places where the image is displayed while Reagan is lying in the bed, turns to look at Father Marin and Father Karras, and just after the head's been seen, and then in the version you've never seen, the same image is superimposed over several other scenes. According to William Peter Blatty, Warner Brothers wanted to change the title of the film after taking a survey which found none of the participants knew what an exorcism was. Audrey Hepburn was Friedkin's first choice to play the role of Chris McNeil, and Warner Brothers supported him because of her good critical and commercial reputation with the studio, but she only agreed to do it if it was filmed in Rome, and Anne Bancroft was another choice, <coughs> but she was in her first month of pregnancy, so she that didn't happen. Um, for many people, the most disturbing scene in the whole movie is that of Reagan having an arteriogram, uh, the first test that she has in the hospital. William Freegan attributes that to the fact that the procedure itself looked very realistic. The man who played the doctor was an actual neurosurgeon in real life, and Linda Blair was as believable as a young, scared girl undergoing a scary, invasive procedure. The refrigerated bedroom scene was cooled with four air conditioners and temperatures would plunge to 30 degrees 
It was so cold that perspiration would freeze on some of the cast and crew. On one occasion, the air was saturated with moisture, resulting in a thin layer of snow falling on the set before the crew arrived for filming. If adjusted for inflation, The Exorcist would be the ninth highest grossing movie of all time. Producers sought to have Jamie Lee Curtis audition for the role of Reagan McNeil, but her mother Janet Lee refused. Uh, I know I'm going to mess up this name, but uh, Vasiliki Maloris had never acted in a movie before. She was discovered by William Freakin in a Greek restaurant. Her only acting experience was in Greek stage dramas. Friedkin selected her because she bore an uncanny resemblance to his own mother, and William Peter Blatty felt she resembled his mother as well. This is the woman that played Father Karras' mother. The original shooting was supposed to take 85 days and instead took 224 days. Here's something very bizarre. As we talked about the arteriogram scene earlier, there is a bearded man who assists the doctor. His name in real life is Paul Batson. He was an x-ray technician at NYU Medical Center where the scene was shot and managed to get a small part. In 1979, he was convicted of the murder of a film critic and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. However, he bragged about and was the suspect in the murders of six men whom he said he had picked up in gay bars, had sex with them, and then murdered and dismembered their bodies and put them in plastic bags for fun in 1977 and 1978. These were eventually known as the bag murders. Although investigators believed his story, he was never officially charged and these murders have technically never been solved. Batson was released from prison in 2004. The whole story revolving around the bag murders was later fictionalized in the movie Cruising from 1980, which was also directed by William Friedkin. So that's a little freaky. Uh, The Exorcist was the film debut of Jason Miller, and of course he was nominated for an Oscar. There are tales about ominous events surrounding the year-long shoot, including the deaths of nine people associated with production and stories about a mysterious fire that destroyed the set one weekend. Actors Jack McGowan and, as I said, Vasiliki Maleros died before the films were released. Um, there are two famous composers that Friedkin uh, tried out their music for The Exorcist, but that didn't work, so here's a couple of things about him. Um, He eventually ended up doing, just going to Atlantic Records, digging through stuff, found a copy of Mike Oldfield's just-released Tubular Bells, and played that on a turntable, and really liked that, and that eventually became the theme for The Exorcist. And I'll play that in a second. Um, it turns out that Jason Miller had been to seminary uh, to become a Catholic priest and Friedkin hired him for the role of Father Karras because he saw him in a stage play and quote his performance reeked of failed Catholicism for the vomiting scenes Eileen Dietz doubled and she was uncredited for Linda Blair and later sued unsuccessfully for the puking credit. Makeover makeup artist 
Dick Smith rigged Deet's facial contours with sheets of heat-formed plexiglass that were secured at the corner of her mouth and behind her head. A camouflage nozzle anchored in Deet's oral cavity provided the apparatus through which the vomit would be forcibly discharged, fed by supply tubes discreetly embedded in the plexiglass on both sides of her face. Such was the complexity of the setup that Deet's could barely swallow or close her mouth. Um, William Peter Blatty based his novel on the supposed genuine exorcism from 1949, which was partially performed in both Cottage City, Maryland, and St. Louis, Missouri. Supposedly about a boy named uh, Robbie, who was 13 years old at the time, the ordeal took more than six months. And a little bit more on that later. Shirley MacLaine turned down the role of Chris McNeil in order to make the similar, though less successful, The Possession of Joel Delaney from 1972. Ironically, the characters of Chris and Reagan were based on her and her daughter, Sachi, who Blatty knew. McLean is well aware of this and has talked about it in several interviews. To entertain and distract, Linda Blair, during the long makeup process she had to sit through, the crew set up a television near her makeup chair so she could watch the Beverly Hillbillies. The demon mask used during the movie is based on a movie called Oni Baba from 1963. According to Variety magazine, it was revealed that Carrie Fisher and her mother Debbie were contenders for the role. Reynolds is mentioned in the film by Lieutenant Kinnaman in jest as playing Desdemona in Othello. Uh, we already said or hinted at that one of the two producers whose work was rejected by Friedkin for the music, one of them was Lalo Shafirin, and he had done the Amityville Horror in 1979. Friedkin ended up hating the music that he did so much that he yelled for the orchestra to stop playing, removed the reels that had been recording the music for the sound deck, and promptly threw the reels into the street, all in front of Lalo and his wife. So I'm sure that didn't go over so well. Um, despite the movie's fears, the Motion Picture Association of America, MPAA, could have given the film an X rating, but it went with R instead with no cuts whatsoever. Their decision, according to Friedkin, was that it was a brilliant, intelligent film that deserved to be seen by a wider audience. Regardless, many American cities, such as D.C. and Boston, chose to disregard the decision and gave it an X. Stacy Keach was originally hired by Blatty to play the role of Father Karras until Friedkin spotted... Jason Miller and a Broadway play, as I already said. Um, so they ended up having to buy out Keech's full contract because they didn't use him. And later, Blatty went on to use him, as I said previously, in the movie The Seventh Configuration. And that is based on Blatty's novel Twinkle Twinkle Killer King. The Spider Walk, although it was cut from the original version of The Exorcist, was reworked for release in other films, including Ruby in 1977 and some other low-budget movies. 
Um, Alfred Hitchcock turned down the chance to acquire the screen rights to the novel and also turned down the chance to direct. So that would have been interesting. Um, Stanley Kubrick wanted to direct the film, but only if he could produce it himself, as the studio was worried that he would go over budget and over schedule and eventually settled on Mark Riddell, but William Peter Blatley insisted on William Friedkin instead after standout with the studio, stand off with the studio, which initially refused to budge over Riddell, Blatty eventually got his way. A movie, a remake of The Exorcist was originally scheduled in 2015, but was canceled. It seems fairly clear, at least by the end of the story, that the demon's target is Karis instead of Reagan. So that's what he says at the end of the movie, but if you follow it into the TV series, like I said, and even the second movie, Pazuzu seems oddly obsessed with Reagan. The film's sound was notable for bizarre sound effects, and in some instances, sequences were made more eerie by the complete lack of sound. They used a variety of techniques, including... Um, to create sound effects ranging from scratching in the house to the devilish sounds, the sound effects crew recorded beagle dogs, pigs going to slaughter, a woman convulsing, and a trapped bee. Yeah. The Prospect Avenue apartment where the story takes place was once inhabited by William Peter Blatty when he was a student at Georgetown. The house was owned by Miss Florence Mahoney and at the corner of 36th and Prospect. During the shooting of the exterior scenes, the crew had to build a special set to allow daylight to keep her garden plants from dying. It is implied in the movie that Reagan was being molested by Burke, Chris's director and friend. This is more obvious in the novel. Despite playing the role, a title role, Max von Sydow had less screen time than the rest of the main cast. Marin and Karis repeat the famous line, The power of Christ compels you, 14 times. And as I said, although the song Tubular Bells was properly referred to as the Exodus theme, it is only played four times throughout the movie. And I won't go into when it is, but I will play Tubular Bells for you. So again, this is one of the most popular horror themes besides... Carpenter's theme from Halloween and a few other, uh, let's see, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, a few others like that. This is probably the most recognized horror theme out there. And here it is, Tubular Bells.
To more about Pazuzu. Pazuzu was a real god from the Mesopotamian times, a demon god as he's presented in The Exorcist. Here's a, a brief synopsis from uh, Wikipedia about him. Pazuzu is a fearsome god who was worshipped in ancient times and is often conflated with Beelzebub or Satan in later times. In ancient Mesopotamian region, Pazuzu was the king of the demons of the wind, brother of Humbaba, and son of the god Hanbi, H-A-N-B-I. He also represented the southwestern wind, the bearer of storms and drought. Pazuzu is often depicted as a combination of diverse animal and human parts. 
He has the body of a man, the head of a lion or dog, talons of an eagle, two pairs of wings, and the scorpion's tail. He has his right hand up and his left hand down. Uh, he is known for bringing famine during dry season and locusts during rainy seasons. Pazuzu was invoked in amulets, which combat the powers of his rivals, the malicious goddess uh, Lamashtu, L-A-M-A-S-H-T-U, who is believed to cause harm to mother and child during childbirth. So he was called on, even though he was a demon, um, other demons were afraid of him, and so he was called on to protect women who were giving birth. Um, here is the um, basically what happened. We already talked about um, William Friedkin and his, uh, I think it was Lilo, um, that he didn't end up doing his music. Here's uh, just a brief thing about his interaction with Bernard Herrmann when he went to have him do the music. So he was interested in hiring uh, renowned composer Bernard Herrmann. Of course, he did Psycho and other stuff. Uh, and Citizen Kane. To his extreme shock, Bernard Herrmann said yes, but their meeting did not go well. The article describes the meeting as follows. William Friedrich's horror film The Exorcist has been scaring the pants off of moviegoers as well as making viewers nauseous since 1973. Even with all this terrifying and stomach-churning imagery, the picture wouldn't have been nearly as intense if it weren't for the hair-raising soundtrack. It's surprising, then, that director Friedkin hadn't intended to use the music that ended up in the score for The Exorcist. Friedkin had first turned to Herman, perhaps the best-known composer in the history of film, to see what might be if he might be up for scoring The Exorcist. To Friedkin's delight, Herman was interested, so the director set up a screening, but it did not go well. Recently, Friedkin wrote about the experience. When he, Herman, came out of the screening room, he said, I might be able to help you with this piece of shit, but you'll have to leave it to me, and I'll see if I can come up with something. I had heard he was abrasive, no BS guy, outspoken to the point of insult. Still, I was stunned at his reaction. Herman went on to relentlessly criticize the movie and the various ways he could save it. For example, he called the desert scene at the beginning a piece of shit and said it would have to be edited out or he would not score the movie. The conversation left Friedkin understandably very offended and he ended up firing the legendary composer as a result of this. So that's what happened there. Um, on a lighter note is on this film that William Peter Blatty met his wife-to-be, professional tennis champ Linda Turo. Um, she had been hired to play an extra. Um, let's see. Additional problems recounted by Friedkin resulted because... Both Ellen Bierst and Max von Sydow were out for weeks. Jason Miller's young son was critically injured during filming, and shooting in Iraq was so hot that some crew members grew ill and had to be replaced. In his interview at the 2006 AMPAS screening, Friedkin said that the two-story house set burned to the ground, causing another three-week delay. 
Max von Sydow was always Friedkin's first choice to play Father Marin when von Sydow was given the book by Blatty to read with a note that he wanted him to play a priest. He assumed he was the one he was going to play Father Karras. He was surprised to finally learn he wanted him to play the other priest. And Sadow is quoted as saying, I still don't know why. Blatty became friends with actress Tippi Hendren in the 1970s. You know, Tippi Hendren, Melanie Griffith's mother, and Dakota Fanning's grandmother. Um, Tippi Hendren in the 1970s became friends with Blatty, and she named one of her lines Billy after him. He gave her a copy of his unpublished novel, The Exorcist. She was so absorbed reading it that she woke up then-husband and agent Noel Marshall in the middle of the night and told him he should represent Blatty in publishing the novel and the film adaptation. She took the photo of the author for the first edition novel's back jacket. In 1971, the novel became a bestseller and Marshall would be credited as executive producer for the film adaptation, also titled The Exorcist, where he was supposed to receive 15% of the profits. When the film became a blockbuster, Blatty refused to give the profits since he never signed the written contract. He only initiated it. Marshall sued, and the lawsuit dragged on for several years, eventually reaching an out-of-court settlement. These were trying years for Hedren and Marshall since they needed the money to feed the big cats for their film, Roar from 1981. The financial stress would result in their divorce eventually. Many years later, Blatty ran into Hendren at a party and said hi. She walked away from him without acknowledging him. Al Pacino was considered among the other leading men for the role of Father Karras. Jane Fonda was offered the role of Chris McNeil, but declined it. This was during the Vietnamese War, and she was notorious for her outspoken radical opinions, and it was rumored she had called the movie, quote, a bunch of capitalist rip-off bullshit. However, in his book, William Peter Blatty on The Exorcist, the author reported that Fonda visited him personally to tell him the rumor was not true. She told him she had turned down the role because she didn't believe in fairy tales. One of... Uh, Lee J. Cobb's last roles before his death, which I already said, his character Lieutenant Kinnaman was brought back for the final film sequence in The Exorcist Three. Uh, for that film, George C. Scott took over the role. Director Kinnaman appeared to have approved of the idea as in 1997 he directed Twelve Angry Men in which Scott played juror number three, Cobb's role from Twelve Angry Men, the original from 1957. Alan Alda was offered a role in this movie, but he rejected it because he did not like the book. Coincidentally, both Mercedes McCambridge, who dubbed the voice of Regan, and Jason Miller, who played, of course, Father Kinnaman, were hardcore alcoholics. Miller stayed sober for Exorcist 1, but when he came back for Exorcist 3, he had fallen off the wagon, and Brad Dorff had to be hired to play his possession scene since Miller could no longer function. This is the real reason why there are two actors playing the same character in that movie. Both Laura Dern and Eve Plum were auditioning for the part of Regan McNeil. 
The running gag in the movie involves Kinnaman asking several people, including Father Dyer, if they would see some movie with him, but they tell him they've already seen the movie. This is somewhat conti continued in Exorcist 3, as it is revealed that Kinnerman and Father Dyer have struck up a friendship and rarely go to watch It's a Wonderful Life together. According to Friedkin, Paul Newman wanted to portray Father Karras. Newman is mentioned by name in the film. Reagan was a character from Norse mythology. He was described both as a diabolical and evil king and often a magic dwarf skilled in the dark arts. In the Volsung saga, which was kind of the Bible of the ancient Scandinavian religions, um, he is depicted as such. It's likely Blatty chose his name both because of its pagan and magical implications as well as its association with Regan, the evil murderous daughter in Shakespeare's King Lear. During the nine, uh, 360 degree head turn scene, the fake head's breath is visible, just like the actor's. This is a small detail added to make the dummy look more realistic. Cinematographer Owen Roseman had originally suggested that on the set as a joke, asking, wouldn't it be great if the dummy had some frost on its breath? The special effects crew immediately began working to make it happen. Apparently, Kim Basinger also auditioned for the role of Reagan McNeil. Um, Friedkin also considered, according to Blatty, Gene Hackman for the role of Father Karras. And, as we said before, Linda Blair was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for her work on this movie in 1974. She was only 12 when she was nominated. Another child actor beat her out that year, Tatum O'Neill, who was only 10, who became the youngest Oscar winner in the history of the Oscars. Tatum beat the foul-mouthed, tough-as-nails Reagan, playing another foul-mouthed, tough-as-nails little girl. Um, let's see, I'm not going to talk any more about the music because we already went over uh, Lalo Schifrin, um, what he was trying to do with the music, and also the um, Bernard Herman incident. So enough on that. Dana Plato remember her from Different Strokes, claimed that she had been offered the role of Regan, but that her mother Kay had turned it down. In the book Former Child Stars, The Story of America's Least Wanted, Blatty later said he had no such recollection of this actually happening and that Plato herself may have been the source of the rumor. She later uh, was in Exorcist II as one of the little girls in the, whatever you want to call it, sleep center. Uh, Mercedes McBridge was already a well McCambridge was already a well established actress before she starred as the voice of the demon. According to Wikipedia, Orson Wells called her the greatest living radio actress. She won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for All the King's Men in nineteen forty nine and was nominated in the same category for Giant in nineteen fifty six. Linda Blair, Jason Miller, and Kitty Wynn 
were the only actors who turned up for the sequels. Martin Van Sendow's Father Marin, of course, uh, appeared in flashbacks. Kitty Wynn and Linda Blair turned up for Part 2. Jason Miller, Part 3. And Ellen Beers flat out refused to do a sequel, and that's why Kitty Wynn ended up in 2. Father Marin, played by Max von Sydow, was based on real-life Jesuit paleontologist, geologist, and philosopher Father Pierre Telhard de Chardin, to which Sydow's character in Old Age Makeup bears a physical resemblance and whose philosophical ideas were um, synthesized in Blatty's novel and its sequel. Father Telhard was among the discoverers of the Peking Man fossils and his philosophical ideas, which were controversial within the Catholic Church and were even considered by some to be heretical, have been quoted provingly by later popes, including Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Francis. In film, Father Telhard is among also the inspiration for the character of Father Jean Tillemont, played by Oscar Werner in the 1968 movie The Shoes of the Fisherman, adapted from Morris West's novel and starring Anthony Quinn. Lee Remick, Carol Burnett, and Raquel Welch were all considered to play Chris McNeil. William Peter Blatty had filed a lawsuit against Warner Brothers and William Friedkin over credits for being barred from production. Friedkin claimed that Blatty was only barred from post-production and that Blatty wanted the credit line, which was added prior to the picture's release, quote, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist. Executive producer Noel Marshall stated that Blatty had dropped the suit against the studio but still had plans to bring a suit against Friedkin over credits and being barred from post-production. The film cast consisted of three Oscar winners, Ellen Bierst, Mercedes McBridge, and William Peter Blatty, who makes a cameo, and four Oscar nominees, Linda Blair, Max von Sydow, Jason Miller, and Lee J. Cobb. Friedkin considered Roy Scheider for the role of Father Karras, but for some reason, Blatty vetoed him. Um, other directors that Warner had approached included Arthur Penn, who was teaching at Yale, Peter Bogdanovich, who wanted to pursue other projects, subsequently rejecting the decision, and Mike Nichols, who didn't want to shoot a film so dependent on the child's performance. The studio eventually hired Mark Rydell, but William Peter Blatty insisted on Friedkin. Geraldine Page turned down the role of... Chris McNeil, Veronica Cartwright, and James Woods played Chris McNeil and Father Marin in the Scary Movie franchise. In the Saturday Night Live version, Richard Plyer played Karis. Um, the end of The Exorcist is very similar to the end of a much older movie, The Innocents, which in turn was based on a very old novella that takes place in the 19th century, The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. It's also about the possession of a child by an evil spirit and the attempts of an adult authority figure to save the child. Miles' possession by the evil spirit Quint in that movie is similar to Regan's possession by Pazuzu. The final scene where Deborah Kerr, the governess, Miss Gideon, 
shouts at Miles to admit he squint and then the boy dies is all very similar to Marin shouting at Reagan about Christ and then he and Karen dying in the struggle. Blatty was definitely affected by the early 19th century story about possession. Sharon Stone was considered for Reagan McNeil. Barbara Streisand declined the role of Chris McNeil. Um, Pazuzu keeps referring to himself as us, like a colony of souls all grouped together, not dissimilar from a colony being uh, like the Borg in the Star Trek series. It's after he absorbs other people and they become part of him. Reagan slash Pazuzu tells Damien his mother is, quote, in here with us. And the mother comes to the surface, crying out to Damien. Later, the demon says he would like to be joined together with Damien. You can be a part of us. This makes sense if we see Pazuzu in the conventional sense of how Satan is depicted in the Bible. The ruler of hell and all the lost souls become part of him. Um, much has been made of the book's debate about whether the demon is Pazuzu or actually the devil himself. I'm really not going to go into that too, too much more. Uh, we already said that Ellen Beer suffered a permanent injury when the harness that she was in was pulled too tight. In fact, she blames Friedkin for permanently wounding her spine, an injury that she still struggles with today. Friedkin never denied this, and the stunt coordinators concur in the interviews that they were pulling the rope as hard as possible against her wishes. Because of this, and probably as a direct result, when a similar scene was done in The Omen in 1978, where Kathy, the mother played by Lee Remick, gets knocked off the balcony of her house by the malevolent bicycle-riding Damien, Remick adamantly refused to do the stunt. Finally, the director, Richard Donner, who was less of a maniac than Freakin, restaged the stunt so that Remick being pushed off the balcony was an optical illusion. So she was not hurt during that. And I already uh, covered the Omen series, but that is interesting how they did that scene, which uh, looks really good. So it worked either way. Nobody got hurt. Jack Nicholson, Dustin Hoffman, Warren Beatty, Burt Reynolds, Ryan O'Neill, Peter Fonda, Al Pacino, John Voight, Robert Blake, Christopher Walken, Alan Dillon, James Caan, Roy Scheider, already said, Paul Newman, already said, Marlon Brando, already said, Elliot Gould, Alan Alda, already said, and George Hamilton were considered for the role of Father Karras. The Bad Seed, Village of the Dam, The Innocents, and Rosemary's Baby are all precursors to this film, and are considered part of the whole demon child genre. Louise Fletcher, of course, played jo Dr. Jean in The Exorcist 2. This is interesting because she was up for the Chris McNeil part in Exorcist 1, but was passed over when the role went to Ellen Bierst. Similarly, Richard Burton was being considered for the Marin part, and The Exorcist, but was rejected in the part in favor of Max von Sydow, who got the role, and then Burton came back to appear in part two. Also, I already said about Daylight Plato, was supposedly up for the role of Reagan, but was passed over, but ended up being in Exorcist 2. 
Additionally, John Borman was offered the role of director in Part 1, turned it down, then came back to direct Part 2. The demons in Exorcist 1, 2, and 3 are all voiced by females. So, Mercedes McCambridge in 1, Linda Blair in 2, Colleen, Colleen Dulhurst in 3. Eleanor Blair, who is um, Linda Blair's mother, played the nurse who comes into Dr. Tanny's office during the arteriogram. The entire exorcism scene from start to finish lasts nine minutes. Besides Mercedes McBride's lawsuit for credit for the film, Ellen Deist also charged that she played the role of the demon during the exorcist scenes. We already talked about what she did. Uh, Friedkin denied this and has cited that Deet's actual screen time is less than one minute as she served as little more than a body double for Linda Blair. Nevertheless, Deet's, as of 2014, continues to promote herself as Captain Howdy, the demon from this film in interviews and at horror conventions around the world. The body count here is only four. So the guy thrown out the window initially, Father Marin, Father Karras, and I guess they're counting Father Karras's mother. The movie did not resolve the murder investigation as far as Reagan is concerned. She should still be suspected of killing Burke Denning, and she did in fact kill him, but neither the book nor the movie addressed this. It's probably because the case would pose a serious legal conundrum. The fact that they, if they believe they had exercised Pazuzu, does that exonerate Reagan? And can she use the devil made me do it defense? Other defendants have tried to use this in the past for murder, and it obviously has not worked. So that's the first exorcist. The trivia on the other movies is much less um, because that movie was just so famous. That's why. On to Exorcist Two: The Heretic. The original cast and crew of the first film were very opposed to a sequel. William Friedkin and William, H William Peter Blatty actually met to discuss the idea at one point, but when they failed to develop a suitable premise, they abandoned the project. Both Linda Blair and Ellen Bierce turned down repeated offers by the studio, though Blair eventually agreed to return when presented with what she considered a good script. However, according to Blair, due to various rewrites, the script ended up being a mess, but at that point, she was contractually bound to a sequel and unable to drop the project. Stanley Kubrick turned down the offer to direct. When John Borman accepted, Kubrick warned him that the only way a sequel of The Exorcist would succeed is if it were more graphic and horrific than the original. Linda Blair refused to be subjected to the makeup she wore in the first film and flashback scenes The Possessed Dragon was played by a double. The original opening night version of this film was so poorly received that the audience at the theater at Hollywood Boulevard actually threw things at the screen to express their disgust when it was over. At the time of its release, this was the most expensive film produced by Warner Brothers. 
Linda Blair has said that Richard Burton started out sober but frequently became drunk during the middle and end of filming. She also says that tensions were high among the cast. Blair said in interviews that she and Burton got along beautifully and that he would often come around her quoting Shakespeare. Burton only agreed to make this film in return for Columbia casting him as Dr. Martin Dysert in Equius from 1977, which he had played on stage. Because of her resemblance to Ellen Beers, Louise Fletcher was originally cast as Chris, but uh, after Beers refused to reprise her role. Uh, they also took the character of her and the role Dr. Jean Tuscan, which was originally written for a man and changed it into a woman. And then they then took Kitty Wynn, who uh, is back from the first movie, to play her guardian, Sharon Spencer. Martin Scorsese is one of the few people who like this film, saying the picture asked, Does great goodness bring upon itself great evil? This goes back to the book of Job. It's God testing the good, in a sense. Reagan is a modern-day saint, like Ingrid Bergen in Europe, 1951. Um, and in a way, like Charlie and Mean Streets, 1973. I like the first exorcist because of the Catholic guilt I have and because it scares the hell out of me, but the heretic surprised me because Borman failed to execute, maybe Borman failed to execute the material, but the movie still deserves better than it got. Director Borman pulled the film out of theaters twice to do some more editing. Although widely regarded as a flop, the film was actually the only one of the sequels or prequels to show a profit on its theatrical release despite being a major underperformer and critical embarrassment to the studio. Linda Blair was in the middle of her drug habit and constantly turned up late to shooting to the point where she actually considered it an achievement that she was there only 20 minutes late. Richard Burton openly admitted in interviews that this was a paycheck picture for him. I had a divorce coming up to Elizabeth Taylor, and I needed money for that. In 2005 interview, Borman remarks, It all comes down to audiences' expectations. The film that I made, I saw a kind of respite in the ugliness and darkness of The Exorcist. I wanted to film about journeys that was positive, about good, essentially, and I think that audiences in hindsight were right. I denied them what they wanted, and they were pissed off about it quite rightly. I know I wasn't giving them what they wanted, and it was really foolish choice. Linda Blair has called this movie one of the biggest disappointments of her career. Um... The production was refused permission to film in just about every location they asked for, including the house from the first movie, leading them have to recreate everything in the studio backlot and inflating the $9 million budget all the way up to $14 million. The film's producers deliberately intended the film to be less graphic in content, 
and less dark in tone than its predecessor. In fact, they expected the MPAA to grant the film a PG rating as opposed to an R rating like the first movie. Or some people thought the first movie should have gotten an X rating. Um, according to the film's co-producer, Richard Letterer, Exorcist II was conceived as a relatively low-budget affair. What we essentially wanted to do was the sequel was to redo the first movie, have the central character, an investigative priest, interview everyone involved in the exorcism, then fade out to unused footage, unused angles from the first movie. A low-budget rehash, about $3 million. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, this movie is listed among the top 10 best bad movies ever made in Golden Raspberry Award founder John Wilson's book, The Official Razzie Movie Review. John Voigt agreed to play Father Lamont before dropping out over concerns with the screenplay. He left the he said the script was flawed from a Catholic point of view. He made some considerable script revisions, but none of them were used, and he departed the project. David Carradine and Jack Nicholson were considered to play the part. The studio rejected Carradine due to his ongoing dispute with him over his Kung Fu 1972 TV series, while Nicholson's salary demands were deemed too high. During filming, director Borman contracted San Joaquin Valley Fever, which is a respiratory fungal infection, which caused filming to be suspended for five weeks. It was determined to be caused from the dust used in the African sets from the film. In the book, The Golden Turkey Awards, this film was voted second worst movie of all time. It lost the number one spot to Plan Planet. Sorry, Plan 9 from Outer Space. The swarms of locusts were realized by painting a few thousand styrofoam packaging peanuts brown and shooting them out of a large air blower. Director Borman had experimented with a number of techniques to get actual, including getting actual grasshoppers to swarm around. Um, but none were convincing enough for him, so he used the Peanuts, which were nicknamed Larry's by the crew. Christopher Walken was considered for the role of Father Lamont. And when the role of Dr. Tuscan was still um, being cast as a man, Alan Arkin, Richard Dreyfus, Chris Sarandon, George Siegel, Martin Sheen, Gene Wilder, and David Carradine were considered. Uh, let's see. The film was rushed in production because 20th Century Fox released The Exorcist 1973, inspired horror film The Omen, which got good reviews and was a smash hit. This inspired Warner Brothers to get out of the sequel, even though writer William Peter Blatty, the director William Freakin, and the star Ellen Bierst all said they were not interested. William O'Malley, 
was contacted to reprise his role of Father Dyer from the first movie. However, O'Malley was busy and could not take up the part, and the character of Father Dyer was changed to Father Philip Lamont. Quentin Tarantino is one of the few people who liked the film, even using a song by uh, Enrico Morricone in The Hateful Eight from 2015. Linda Blair had to take tap dancing lessons for the film. Although she loathed it, she came to respect the craft and embrace the opportunity. In the original script, Reagan Pazuzu turns into a temptress, which then inspires Father Lamont to rape her, which then sends Lamont into a despairing tailspin leading to his self-destruction, which is all part of Pazuzu's plan. But Blair pulled aside Borman and the crew before shooting started and said, Listen, I don't know what kind of ugliness you have planned here, but just forget it. It's not happening. So the replacement scene just has Lamont losing control um, for a second and then pulling back in horror. As it was, Blair said, filming these erotic scenes between her, a 17-year-old, and a 42-year-old married middle-aged Burton was very awkward and uncomfortable. Linda Blair said, Elizabeth Taylor was often on the set with the rest of the cast and crew. The film includes one Oscar winner, Louise Fletcher, and four Oscar nominees, Blair, Von Sydow, Richard Burton, Ned Beatty, and James Earl Jones. Um... And that's it for two, so on to Exorcist 3. William Peter Blatty made this film. It was based on his novel Legion, which was published in 1983. Morgan Creek decided to call the film The Exorcist 3 Legion, even though the screenplay and novel featured no exorcisms whatsoever. After principal photography was completed, the misleading nature of the title was noticed, and the producers determined that additional scenes needed to be written and then added to the film in order to make it a more recognizable sequel to The Exorcist. The last third of the movie had to be entirely redone with the insertion of a new character, Father Mourning, and of an exorcism scene that cost nearly $4 million. The Gemini Killer character in this movie is inspired by real-life serial killer, The Zodiac. Um, asked how he was able to get in and out of jail without being seen, the Gemini killer, Brad Dorif, replies, It's child's play. The camera cuts to a young red-headed boy who looks a lot like Chucky, um, and Dorif provides the voice, of course, for Chucky in the Child's Play franchise and the sequels. Morgan Creek and Carell, Carol Co. both wanted to make the film. William Peter Blatty decided upon Morgan Creek after Carol Co. suggested the idea of a grown-up, Reggie McNeil, giving birth to possessed twins. Laddie wanted the film to be titled simply Legion, 
after his novel of the same name. The producers, however, wanted the title to be The Exorcist Three for commercial reasons. Blatty even tried to convince them to add, to change it to The Exorcist 1990 in order to distance it from The Exorcist to The Heretic, which he despised, but he ended up having to settle for Exorcist Three. Blatty had to recast the role of Lieutenant Kidman as Lee J. Cobb, who played the part in the first movie, of course, passed away. On the cinematic exorcism scene, Blatty later said, It's all right, but it's utterly unnecessary, and it changes the character of the piece. Although at the time, Blatty told the press he was happy with the reshoot, and the film's ending and had the story climax with a frenzy of special effects. The truth is that the compromise was forced on him against his wishes. The original story that I sold Morgan Creek and that I shot ended with Kinnaman blowing away Patient X. There was no exorcism. But it was a Mexican standoff because me and the studio, I was entitled to one preview. Then they would go and do what they wanted with the picture. Blatty came up with the idea of the movie right after the success of The Exorcist and decided to set it in a hospital after hearing about a priest who entered a health facility without his um, I'm not sure what that means. Since he could not convince director William Freakham to film the film, he went to write a book about it which was later become Legion and then this was adapted by himself as the movie. Blatty offered directorial responsibilities to John Carpenter, who liked the script, but backed out when it became clear that Blatty wanted to direct the movie himself. George C. Scott said of the film, It's a horror film and much more. It's real drama, intricately crafted with offbeat, interesting characters, and that's what makes it genuinely frightening. Um, I'm just skipping some things here. The only exorcist sequel to reuse tubular bells in the film as it is briefly played at the beginning of the movie. Reagan McNeil is mentioned only in passing in this film and the two sequels to The First Exorcist shows the fate of two different sets of character. Exorcist 2 shows what happened to Reagan, Sharon, and Marin's backstory and mentions what Chris is doing while this movie shows what happened to Kinderman, Dyer, and Karis. Blatty did not get along with George C. Scott though for the most part they were able to put their differences aside and work together without too much trouble. While the film ignores the previous sequel, Exorcist II, it never actually outright contradicts it, despite Blatty's well-known dislike of the critically reviled sequel. In fact, the shots of the stairs where Karis died are carefully framed so as not to show the McNeil's former house, which was destroyed at the end of the previous film.
in an interview on the bonus uh, track of the DVD release. Brad Dourif opens up saying the reason why Jason Miller was unable to reprise her role originally of Karis is because he was a severe alcoholic and had developed, quote, wet brain. That meant he could not memorize the two long monologues the Gemini Killer has. He says that led to him sharing the role with Miller in the theatrical cut. He could recite the monologues while Miller could handle the shorter lines. However, an audio commentary with Blatty makes no mention of this, simply saying Miller was unavailable. Um, let's see. Legion is one of the rare instances in which a director's cut, one hour and 45 minutes, is shorter than the theatrical version, which is one hour and 50 minutes. The removal of the entire exorcism scene and the character of Father Mourning contributes to that. The director's cut was released in 2016 and did not contain, as we said, um, Father Morning, played by uh, Nikolai Williamson, or Father Karras, played by Jason Miller. The director's cut is the result of a disagreement between writer and director William Peter Blatty and Morgan Creek Studios. Blatty wanted Brad Dorff to play Father Karras, possessed by Gemini Killer, because Miller was unavailable. He also did not want there to be an exorcism scene because there was none in his novel and he did not want this to be a horror movie. All arguments also persisted over the title, which as we said previously, he wanted to call this Legion, just like his book. Filming actually began under that title. Then they changed it to Exorcist 3 because the name was more recognizable. Blatty begged them to not go um, with that title, but they did anyway. And he didn't want it, of course, because Exorcist 2 was such a failure. In the end, the studio won, and it was called Exorcist 3. And Miller was brought in to be Karis because the studio felt that the film needed an original cast member. Blatty, however, was able to use Vlad Dorif to play the alter ego. Next up, Exorcist New Beginning. This is the first of the two prequels. Both Blatty and Paul Schrader were nearly thrown out of the film's premiere for loudly laughing during the screening. Morgan Creek fired Paul Schrader after he had submitted a completed movie saying he had given them footage without any of the bloody violence the backers had wanted. He had always made it clear in interviews that he was making more of a psychological drama then an all-out gore fest, he was fired and, of course, Rennie Harlan was hired to reshoot the film. Almost 90% of the film was reshot and at least two characters have been dropped from Schrader's version of the film. Following the last luster reception of Harlan's version, they ended up releasing Schrader's version anyway, and that's what we know as Dominion. Stellan Skarsgård is playing a younger version of Max von Sydow's character from the original movie. Although Skarsgård is nearly a decade over, older than Sydow during the filming. 
after Marin has opened the lid of the crypt inside the church and he lights the crypt, the face of the demon can be seen just a few frames on the inside of the lid. The same technique was used. It's a blink and miss it technique in the original Exorcist. Peter Jackson at one time was asked to direct this movie. Nearly the entire cast, barring only Skarsgård, was either unavailable for the reshoots or refused to return out of loyalty to Paul Schrader. Linda Blair was shocked when she discovered that Warner Brothers had used her image and voice in the promotional campaigns without her authorization. Blatty said that watching this movie was, quote, his most humiliating professional experience. Ryan Philippe and Kerr Smith were both considered for the role of Father Francis. When Morgan Creek hired Rennie Harlan, he told them that Paul Schrader's version was complete crap and unsalvageable and without any intention of actually signing onto the project, said that they better they were better off reshooting from scratch. Must of his shock <coughs> James G. Robinson, the head of Morgan Creek, agreed to this and offered Harlan an even bigger budget and paycheck than they had given Schrader, and Harlan agreed to the offer and rewrote the screenplay alongside new writer Alexi Halley. This film was originally rated NC-17. Due to the film being too graphic and violent, the offending scenes were edited, and the result was the R-rated sequence instead. Several changes followed the firing of Paul Schrader, as we said, both in the cast and crew. Screenwriter Alexi Halley was called in to retool the script. He cut out the characters, some characters from the original, and added a few new ones, like the one played by actress Isabella um, Skorupko. Again, I didn't get her name right. Actor. Gabriel Mann, who played Father Francis, is in the original version, but not able to reshoot his scenes due to a scheduling conflict, so the new director replaced him with James Darcy. Both Skarsgård and Max von Sydow, who played the original Father Marin, are from Sweden. Ten percent of Schrader's films made it to the final movie, including two minutes of the Holland Village Massacre. Schrader's version of the sequence is about 20 minutes long. The screenplay had a long and painful gestation process. Blatty refused to get involved, resulting in many years of um, being spent of trying to get a screenplay together with the producers eventually settling on a draft by Caleb Carr, which incorporated elements from an earlier screenplay by William Wisher. And just at the start of the reshoot, Rennie Harlan was involved in a car accident and broke his leg. Uh, He had to have his leg supported by a cast and a metal support. Now, the second sequel 
I'm sorry, the second prequel. This one is Exorcist Dominion. Just a reminder, this one was actually shot before the one we just talked about, the beginning. Um, many of this is the same, so i got to skip a lot of stuff. We already know basically what happened. I've said previously I prefer the Rennie Harlan version, the beginning, over this. This version is much less scary um, and much more contemplative and, to, and talks much more about faith than the actual uh, possession. Um, John Frankenheimer voluntarily stepped down from directing the Exorcist prequel, which was then referred to as Exorcist Dominion, one month before his death in July 2002, and that's when Paul Schrader took up the project. Mary Beth Hurt, Paul Schrader's wife, does the uncredited voice of Chi-Chi. The war-torn Dutch village was actually a reworked set from Gangs of New York from 2002. And that's it for the trivia for Dominion. Now on to the TV series. The project was originally conceived as a film reboot of the franchise that started with The Exorcist until the idea was reworked into a television series instead. The creators expressed an intention to work in elements from Exorcist 3 into the third season before the series was canceled. There's only two seasons total. Though publicized as a reboot of the original film, it can in fact be considered a sequel, as evidenced by the photo of the infamous stairs and the newspaper article recounting some of the events from the first movie. The music played at the end of the episode of episode one is Tubular Bells. And even though Hannah Kasolka plays the younger sister in the Rance family, she is in fact one year older than Brianne Howie, who plays her older sister. The second season was not called The Next Chapter, for some reason. Uh, it was only used in commercials to promote the show. The words The Next Chapter do not appear in the opening theme. Both seasons, I guess, are just called The Exorcist. And despite playing mother and daughter, Sharon Gless is only 12 and a half years older than Gina Davis. Future developments. In August 2020, it was revealed that Morgan Creek Entertainment is developing a theatrical reboot of The Exorcist. It is scheduled to be released in 2021. And then in December 2020, Blumhouse Productions and Morgan Creek announced that the reboot was changed to a direct sequel to the original Exorcist film. It would be directed by Halloween's David Gordon Green and Jason Blum and the Robinson Brothers will produce. So I'm interested to see what they do with that. Now, why should you watch these movies? Well, the as I said right off the bat, the first movie is one of the 
considered one of the best horror movies ever produced. And I would probably pick it as my number one favorite horror movie. It's right up there. The top five are Halloween, The Shining, Psycho, Night of the Living Dead, um, Alien, Aliens. But I still think that The Exorcist is number one in my book. But horror is very subjective and it just depends on what moves you and what you're scared of as to what you like the best. So, um, yeah, I'm not as much scared by an unstoppable serial killer as some demon that you really can't control what he's doing. So um, I went back and watched the movie. I, despite, you know, I mentioned there were a few things that people might consider shortcomings. The plot takes a while to get going, um, etc. But I think it still really stands up all these years later. So I definitely would suggest that you watch The First Exorcist. Um, also, I really like Three. Uh, it's more of a detective thriller, as we said, but I really enjoyed it. And then I already said of the two prequels, if you're going to watch one, to me the beginning was the best one. And the TV series, I would highly recommend the first season. I really enjoyed that. Um, also, the music, as we said before, Tubular Bells is one of the most iconic horror themes out there. And uh, it and Halloween are the best in my book. So on to recipe. It should come as no surprise that this week's recipe is split pea soup. So this is not Anderson soup like was used in The Exorcist or Campbell's soup. This is from a recipe from the Barefoot Contessa. Of course, Ina Gardner. Um, on the f she's on the Food Channel. And there is a quick YouTube video about it. I'll include a link in the show notes um, of how to make split pea soup. And she also throws some carrots in. Um, yeah, I, I really like split pea soup, so, uh, that's definitely worth a look if you're interested. Now, where to find us? We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating. If you like what you're hearing, we need all the help we can get. We're also on Twitter at Food and Fright, or contact us by email at foodandfright at gmail.com, or check out our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com. So that's it till next week. Next week I'll probably pick a shorter franchise because going through five films and uh, 20 episodes of a TV series is a lot to do at one time. So hopefully I'll come up with something a little shorter next time around. Until then, stay safe and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.